Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Uh, Really glad that you could join us. And uh, there's a real sense in the room today uh, of God's presence. Uh, Do I sense some people are hungry for God? Is anyone here actually... Uh, not satisfied by all the, the, the dishwater of what the world provides? Does anyone want some pure living, living water from the Spirit of God in the house of God? Does anyone want any of that today? Is anyone thirsty for more of God? Yeah, I, I sense that, and I sense that. And you know, God, when, when we draw near to Him, He rushes towards us in a really special way. And when we meet together of all the things we could be doing, when we turn to this uh, channel on YouTube, or when we are here in the building, when we rush into God's presence, he rushes to be with us, uh, because there's nothing quite like the presence of the Lord amongst his people. In a world that has gone more than a little bit crazy, uh, thank God that we have the rock of Jesus on which we stand. Thank God for the power of the cross. Thank God for the things we've been singing about. Thank Thank God that he is stronger than all the nonsense around us. Hallelujah. And what a beautiful thing to be able to gather. Here we are from different nations all over the world, different places, gathered together in one place, in his house, hungry for him. This is a special time together. And I consider it a real privilege and honor uh, that the microphone is attached to my head and that you uh, are willing to listen to what I have to say. But my prayer is um, that we would get to a point where actually what we hear is not the words of Tim, but the words of the Lord. Is that all right? That's what we're going to pray for. Now, I want to start by asking a question. What makes you angry? Oh, everyone's like, oh, what? Do you really want to know? Yeah, I want to know. What makes you angry? The toilet seat left up? Uh, How about this? When someone that says they love you, they offer you a cup of tea. And you say, yes, please. I'd love a cup of tea. And, no, yeah, well, listen to this. And then you hear the sound of the kettle being boiled. The the kettle's turned on, it's filled and turned on, and then they walk away forgetting that they ever offered to make you a cup of tea. Does that make you angry? Ever? I I don't know, I don't know. What about about the economy being messed up by the government? Does that make anyone angry? Well, what about plastic in the oceans around the world? Does that make anyone angry? There's lots to be angry about. What about when your best friend for life, your best man, sends you an email to tell you that he hopes your wife dies of cancer? What do we do? And that's like a dagger to the heart. That's like, that pierces, right? I don't think he realized, but that really hurt. What does it mean for us to grow as people who build authentic relationships in a world of idiots like us, of fools like us, a world full, crammed full of billions of people capable of causing so much pain? 
You see, this series, the Authentic Relationship series, follows on from our look at our essentials during 2022. The one on the left is the symbol of being what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. The, the one in the middle is wholehearted worship. And the one to the right is authentic relationships. And this autumn, we're looking at what does it mean to grow authentic relationships. But in order for us to be able to do that, there is a pain in the exploration. This is not easy. This is not comfortable. And I'll say to you today, the rest of our time together is not going to be comfortable. But there is healing in the Word of God. There is healing available in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name. I believe at least for one person. It may may be somebody watching online. It may be someone in the room. It might just be one person. But today, you are not going to forget this message Not because it's clever, but because the Holy Spirit puts his finger on part of your heart that he, in his love, wants to heal. And you are going to receive a breakthrough today in Jesus' name. And that may be you. So listen up. This could be for you. And if it's not for you now, I trust that this message one day will be of use to you because guess what? One day someone's going to really hurt you and you're going to really need to know what to do with the anger that they create in you through what they do. I think it'd be good for us to pray before we go any further. So let's surrender our hearts. Let's yield to him. I simply pray, Lord, in a world full of so much anger and contempt and hatred, in a world that hurts so many in so many different ways, I simply pray, God, that you would show us what it means to have our hearts after your heart. And I pray, God, today with expectation in my spirit, I pray for healing today. I pray that this will be a place of restoration, a place of forgiveness, a place of grace. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. So, Lord, have a way in my heart. Have a way in our hearts. Have a way in this church. Bring healing, Lord. And I pray, God, please, in your grace, I pray that my words would not get in the way of your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And we all say together, Amen. 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 Last week, David was uh, opening for us uh, the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, that whole story. And it's a brilliant story because in the context of, of deep loss, there is the power of profound loyalty. And when we give ourselves fully to God uh, and we don't give up on relationships, it's amazing what happens. And actually, uh, the story that we're going to read from today and explore today is the result of what happened in the book of Ruth. We're going to just turn the page over and we can see God's purposes in what ultimately leads us to Jesus who ends up dying on the cross for us. Everything today is going to lead us to the cross. Is that all right? This is a Christian church, by the way, right? We're in the Old Testament, but everything leads and points to the cross and then points us beyond the cross into a life that has been truly set free. Now, when it comes to anger, there's a difference between feeling angry and being in a state of anger. Okay, anger is a feeling attributed to God many times through the scriptures. Uh, anger is actually a, it's a natural emotion. It's okay to feel angry. Uh, if you uh, if you don't, don't get condemned about this, anger is a natural feeling when an injustice has been done. 
anger about a particular issue or even angry about what somebody's done. Anger is normal. Welcome to the human existence. Welcome to what it means to be relationable. To be in relationship means that guess what? Things are going to happen and we're going to feel anger. But it's a different thing to be angry. To allow that anger to go from being a seed of of upset, annoyance, or something deeper than that, to actually becoming what grows into contempt. It can grow into malice so easily. If our hearts are not yielded to God, then actually we can become angry people. And this is not God's heart for any of us. It's not how God wants you to enjoy life. Why? Because he wants you to live life according to his kingdom. And in his kingdom, there is no room for contempt. So what do we do with our anger? In fact, the title for my message today is The People of the Broken Spear. All by the grace of God will become clear. The People of the Broken Spear. And uh, in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul had a vision for a different kind of society. And that society was based on the grace of Jesus Christ. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 4, in one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. He says this, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. As almost the baseline of so many, if not all, sin, certainly is one one of the big four or five, isn't it? Is that when we allow anger to take hold, the devil gets a foothold And then he climbs right in. He climbs right into our relationships. He can climb right into a marriage. He can climb right into a family. He can climb right in, and this is Paul's concern, into the church. He goes, no, 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 you're part of the same body. Don't let anger come between you. Don't let anger see. In fact, give anger the kicking and send it packing is a paraphrase. Whatever you do, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't stay angry. Feel anger? Yes. Stay angry? No. So when it comes to authentic relationships, we've got to deal with our anger before God if we're truly to become the people of the broken spear. Now, if we turn the page over from the book of Ruth, we go into 1 Samuel. I'm going to tell you a story. There's not going to be loads of scripture to read from the screen. If you really want to open your Bibles and follow, then open your Bibles at 1 Samuel. Okay, we're going to go through 1 Samuel. And we're going to read about the torturous relationship between Saul and himself, but also Saul and David, who later became King David. So we're going to have a look at this. And I I want you to enjoy hearing this story rather than thinking that I'm going to pause at every, because we're actually going to be looking at effectively 17 chapters of the Bible. Are we ready to go? Has anyone got any chicken in the oven? Anything that is on a timer at home? I apologize to that chicken. It's, no, I, I hope to not be long. But listen, bear with me because this is precious time in the Word of God. Let's allow the Word of God to do its work in us and not rush away. We're not here for sound bites. I hope you're not. We're not here just to be titillated or just to have some entertainment. We are here to encounter God in His words. Amen? Amen. As one sister's ready. So three hours. Listen, when I get to three hours, Christy, just tell me and I'll bring into land. Okay, so that's how we're going to go. So in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we read about Saul. Saul, he is head and shoulders above his family. And that's really annoying. 
That's really annoying for everyone else in his family because he's taller than everyone else. Imagine that, growing taller and faster than everyone else. Awkward, insecurity can break in. But also, he's got his own issues. And all the way through, we find that, that Saul is a, he's a, he's a mess of contradictions. He's fundamentally insecure and feels inferior. But in the midst of that, uh, God and Israel have a, a conversation through Samuel, and Israel said, we want a king. And the Lord says, no, you can't have a king. You don't need, no, we want a king like all the other tribes. The Lord says, no, I don't want you to have a king. I'm your king. And they go, no, 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 really, Lord, we want our own physical king like all the other tribes around. So God relents. He says, okay, this doesn't turn out well, by the way, but it makes way for Jesus. But anyway, Saul becomes the first king of Israel. He's anointed by Samuel, the prophet. He becomes the king. And uh, there's a whole, and if you kind of flick through, you'll see um, that in chapter 11, he defeats the Ammonites. And in fact, it's a military anger that we read about here. It's not personal. He defends his people. And in fact, he, he gets them all together and uh, he sends out bits of oxen and says, look, by the way, you come anywhere near my people and my land and, and my tribes, then guess what? You're going to end up broken up in pieces like this oxen. They're all afraid. Oh, we're afraid of Saul. And they have a great victory. At the end of chapter 11, uh, we read about, it says that they all offered peace offerings to the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites were filled with joy. And in this moment, I'm guessing that Saul became full of himself. He had gone from having an experience of God in chapter 10, where he'd experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. The Lord even gave him a new heart, so he gets anointed to become the king. He experiences prophesying, which maybe means speaking heavenly language. We don't quite know, but it was a powerful encounter with God. He even says that he gave him a new heart. Everything's good. Saul gets the victory. And then, do you know what? From this time, we don't read much about him prophesying anymore, meeting with the Holy Spirit anymore, meeting with God anymore. Now he's full of himself. There's great joy in the land. Why? Because Saul is their king. Beware of anything in our lives that calls us to be more full of ourselves than we are full of God. That's something for somebody today. There's no room in the kingdom of God for people who are full of themselves and refuse to surrender before the might and greatness of God. Of course, there's room to come in, but guess what? Listen, you can come in as you are, but guess what? God's going to deal some stuff in your heart and mind if you stick around with him because he loves you so much. There's stuff that he wants to do in your heart even today. He loves you. He said, come to me, and guess what? I'm going to put my finger on some areas of your heart because I love you so much. I want to see you healed, and I want to see you whole. Saul doesn't do that. He becomes full of himself. Then in chapter 13, we find that he's, the Saul and the men are trembling from fear, not because they've dealt with the Ammonites. Now it's the Philistines. And the Philistines are really, they are fierce in battle. There, there's so many uh, Philistines around that he's ca- cowering under a tree. You might have heard the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. That all happens in a place called Gibeah. Saul's hiding with all of his uh, elite troops kind of underneath the tree. And Jonathan, his armor bearer, said, you know what? Let's go and take him out. You and me, armor bearer. We never even learned the name of the armor bearer, by the way. He's a legend. He's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. The armor bearer says, guess what? If the Lord's with us, then nothing can hinder him. So I'm with you completely. Let's go. They climb up. They take out the Philistines. Eventually, eventually Saul realizes, because there's an earthquake, kind of wakes him up from his laziness. And because the Philistines are kind of killing each other, then, <laughs> then Saul wakes up and realizes, oh, guess what? 
We're going to defeat the Philistines. So they have this whole army. They have this battle. And in the midst of chasing them away, there's this brilliant bit where Jonathan hasn't heard the rule. Saul, not that, not that bright, I think. He makes a rule and he says, guess what? If God is delivering us like this, no one eat anything. What? Soldiers don't eat anything. The Lord's with us. Jonathan doesn't hear the rule. He doesn't open that email in his inbox. He was too busy doing some other stuff. So he gets his stick and he shoves it in a honeycomb and he puts some honeycomb in his mouth. And people go, no, 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 Jonathan, don't do that. His own son ends up in front of all the people and it's like a judgment court. His father, the king, takes him to court and says, right, who was it that has caused this calamity upon us? Somebody has eaten something and in the end, it becomes aware that it was his son, Jonathan, who had some honey. And he didn't, I, Dad, I didn't really get it. This is my paraphrase. You can read it for yourself. And so horrendously, imagine this. Saul says, well, I said, whoever does that, whoever is the cause of this needs to die. So Jonathan must die. His own son, the heir to the throne. Saul says he must die. Something's wrong in Saul's heart. The people step in and they rescue Jonathan on that day. It's a fantastic story. We won't take much more time there. But Saul says he must die and the people rescue Jonathan, his son. Then in chapter 15, the Lord rejects Saul as the king. Uh, he reje- rejects him. Says, this is there's something wrong. He's walked away from me effectively. And even though Saul keeps repenting and then doing rubbish and messing up and repenting, the Lord starts to look for someone else to be the king. And so in chapter 16, he anoints David, who's a shepherd boy, who's there not really respected by the rest of his family. He's out in the fields, kind of killing lions every now and then. But he's also a great musician. So David is there in the fields playing the harp, learning music, writing songs, writing poetry, some of which is in our psalm, the book of Psalms. And so David's heart, it says, is right with God. The reason God chose David was because his heart was like after God's heart. The, the lesson today, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, is, do you know, it's possible to live in such a way as that our hearts are truly yielded to God's heart. You can live that way. You can be that way. And you'll see the fruit of it as we go through the story. So David is then, uh, he's anointed as king by Samuel. And uh, then in the midst of that, we have King Saul. And we have this scene that King Saul is in the palace. And he's surrounded by all the royalty. King Saul is in the palace. And he is for sure uh, tormented. Now, this is from uh, chapter 16, verse 14. Now, the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. Wow. And a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear was sent by the Lord. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp. Whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you, he'll play soothing music and you'll soon be well again. All right, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. Who is that person? This is a great story. It's David. David, who is anointed as king of Israel ends up being in the palace, in the throne room of the king of Israel, the one with the crown, whose heart is not after God's, is being soothed by the future king of Israel, the anointed king of Israel. And we read this story that, they, um, that when it's basically David becomes his music therapist. 
whenever the tormenting spirit torments him, they say, David, play. And David plays on the harp, and everything goes back to normal. It's really nice. And then, and then, when, it, then when he stops playing, maybe David has a tea break or something because uh, someone remembered they were going to make him a cup of tea and decided to actually follow through on it. And so uh, it's, then the tormenting spirit comes back, and Saul starts raging again. Play, 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 quick. Everyone's like, please, David. Where's David? We need him to play. And he plays and Saul kind of goes lulled back into his place. Whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then you know the story after this of David and Goliath. David's called back, and, and uh, if you don't know that story, I encourage you to read it in chapters uh, 17. It's uh, chapter 17. At the end of it, we have this amazing scene, is that here, David enters the presence of Saul with the head of Goliath in his hand. Blood still dripping from it, cut with Goliath's own sword. And he goes into the presence of King Saul, having refused his armor. And there he is standing. And this is what it says at the end of chapter 17. He said, well, who is this man? Who is he? He said, well, actually, this is David. His name is Jesse from Bethlehem. Chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond between them. And there's... There's evidence of that all the way through. Verse 5, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war and appointed that was, and appointed that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. All these women coming out. They've left whatever they were doing, and they want to greet the king. And if you're Saul, right, you're on whatever the parade is. You're, you're held up above everyone, and they start singing a song, and this is really awesome. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and Saul's thinking, this is for me, right? They've come out to see King Saul. Who's the King Saul? And all these beautiful women coming out, and all the crowds are shouting, and they're singing. And this was their song, Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul's like, yes, I've killed my thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. Oh, jealousy is so powerful. And in that instance, the next verse says, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. They will. <laughs> God's already done it. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. In fact, he kept more than a jealous eye on David. His heart had turned against him. David becomes the fixation of his contempt, of his anger, of whatever's gone wrong within his heart. It turned sour and it's focused on David. Then verse 10. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. And there's a whole study you can look at. What, what, did God send a tormenting spirit? Does God do that? That's another question for another time worth exploring. He says, then, um, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. And David was playing his harp. So imagine the scene. Um, David uh, is in the corner and he's playing his harp. But he's in the throne room. And there's King Saul and uh, he's, he's in the throne, and, and he's kind of getting soothed by this music. And, he began, and, and Saul begins to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. 
and as he did his day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. And he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. So I'm guessing in his fit of rage, having missed the first time, Saul's like, oh! And he picks up the sword again. And somehow maybe David at this point is, is making escape. And he throws it again to try and pin him to the wall. Two times David escapes. He, he flees. He's free. But Saul's anger and contempt grows and grows and grows. Listen to this. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. There's loads more that you can read. It's, it's a powerful story. You see, what's happened is that, that Saul's admiration for David turns into anger, turns into jealousy, turns into contempt to such a point as the spear is thrown to kill him. What follows after this? The rage and the jealousy grows more and more. And if you read in chapter uh, 18, you'll find out the rest of it, the story. There's all sorts of stuff with how he gets married to Michal. And there's, there's hundreds of foreskins flying around the place. And there's jealousy. And, there's, and, and it says that when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michal loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. That's, no, that's an understatement. So every time, Saul is getting more and more bitter. Uh, listen, we all have spears. We are all capable of causing serious damage to people around us. And yet God is calling us to be a people of the broken spear. What does that really mean? For that affair that someone had. Those words that were spoken against us. For that work colleague that undermined us and took our promotion. For the person who gazumped our house sale. The person who defrauded us of that money. The person who shamed us on social media. The person who made us the laughing stock of our year at school. We all have spears. And what's interesting in that moment and that first incident was that David doesn't pick it up and throw it back. Because I reckon David was a better shot than Saul. Saul has killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. We know who would win in a duel, but actually David flees. But all that time, fear and anger are fermenting in, inside of Saul. And David has a choice what happens in his heart. But his heart was after God's heart, wasn't it? And so how he dealt with this is entirely different. And he's got Jonathan there. Thank God for the Jonathans in our lives. that still believers to see God's heart for us, that encourage us to live better to stay strong, to not give in to temptation. But all the time, it's fermenting. It's, it's fermenting. And I, I, I think it's fermenting like uh, Clive. Where's Clive? Who's leading worship. He makes this kind of home brew. Listen, it, it just bubbles away and it's deadly. Don't, don't go anywhere near it, all right? If he offers it to you. Because so, there's stuff in there that you don't want in your bodily system. Isn't that right, Clive? <laughs> I'm just sorry to embarrass you. <laughs> um, it's all non-alcoholic, of course. Um, so, 
that sometimes when things are allowed to, to stay inside, they grow and they ferment and they get worse and the poison forms. All the time. What's happening in David's heart? Now watch what happens in David's heart at this point. Saul now, this verse nine, chapter 19, verse 1. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. So the next morning, Jonathan speaks with his father about David saying many good things about him. He says, the king must not sin against his servant David. He's never done anything to harm you, dad, the king. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked a great victory to, to, um, when he, his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought about a great victory to all of Israel? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed. He, oh, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. But then listen to this. But one day, verse, verse 9, one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in his hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. The same scene, right? Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. So Saul's been doing his target practice. But David still escapes. Now he flees for all of his life. He ends up with a whole ragtag bunch of people. He ends up um, in a cave of Adullam. There's so many aspects of the story. He ends up in a cave. And speaking of caves, we'll turn to chapter 24. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops. So this is the SAS, right? So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats, wherever that is. Everyone reads this like, oh, I remember that. I remember the wild goats. Yeah, that's a good. Ten left there. No, anyway, at the place where they were, the road passes some sheepfolds. Obviously, I don't know why we need to know this. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. I'll try not to illustrate this too graphically. But he backs himself into a cave to relieve himself, to do a number two, in other words, to use proper English story. Is that too much information? It's in the Bible. I've already said foreskins once. That's just, it's just a long, you read it. It's a real story. Anyway, so he backs into the cave to do a number two. And maybe at that point, he actually takes the robe off at that point so he can do what he needs to do. But listen to this. As it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Imagine the smell. That's not great. If that's the... So David is hiding in a toilet. Listen to this. David's men whispered to him, Now's your opportunity. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and slit Saul's throat. Is that what it says? No. David creeps forward and cuts off a piece from the hem of Saul's robe. Wow. He's right there, David. His mighty men are there. Take him out. Come on, just 
One, that's all it would take. He's not going to notice. Just let him, just take him out. Instead, listen to this. This shows David's heart. And I say, God, would you give me a heart like David's was at this point in his life? Listen to this. Then this is what, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he'd cut Saul's robe. What? No one would have blamed you, David, for taking him out. But now you're convicted because you cut his robe? This is phenomenal. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. God, if you're not going to do it, if you're going to do if you're going to do his robe, listen, I'll take him out. My sword's just here, David. No, 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 guys, guys, this is not how we do things. In, he's, see, he's already a king. Hello? He's already a king in his heart before the Lord. And with the dominion he has. But guys, guys, that's not how we do things in our kingdom. Because he is the Lord's anointed. An amazing story. There's more there that we won't take time to do, but I encourage you to look at it. They have a conversation. David goes out and says, that, by the way, hello? It's me. It's like, David, is that you? It's like, yeah, I was in here while you were doing your business. And here's a bit of your robe. I could have taken you out, but I chose not to kill you because that's not how I live. And that's not the state of my heart. That's my paraphrase. Saul's like, oh, you're a better man than me. May God bless you. Then they go their separate ways. Then in chapter 26, said in verse 1, Now some men from Ziph came to Saul at Gibeah to tell him, David is hiding on the hill of Hakilah, which overlooks Jeshimon. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops. So the SAS are called again. They're pretty useless before, weren't they? But here they are again. And maybe they've got infrared goggles this time or something. I don't know. But anyway, they went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Hakilah near Jeshimon. I guess we're meant to know where these places are. Anyway, where David was hiding. When David learned that Saul had come after him in the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go in there with me? So David's going to go into the camp. Saul is there on the ground, surrounded by the SAS. Who's going to go in with me? And in the end, Abner volunteers, right? And Abner says, "Um, yeah, I'll go in there with you. Uh, Sorry, Abishai, son of Zariah, Joab's brother, says, I'll go with you. So David and Abishai went straight into Saul's camp and found him asleep. So they they get into the camp and... uh, Actually, I wonder if you can help me. Would you mind? Are you able to just, I know this is a bit strange because I know there are people watching at home. I would hate for them to, you're sore. Everyone go, boo. Okay, so are you able just to lie down there? Just, just mind, your, mind your back. Okay. So there he is. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. So, so um, here he is. Just hold, actually, just, go, just hold that there like that. So can you all see that over there? wasn't planning to do this, so just whatever. So, so Saul is sleeping, and actually by him is his water bottle <laughs> and the spear. 
and Abishai and David are, they're in the middle of the camp. Everyone's asleep. It says the Lord must have made them sleep. That's what the, it says the Lord sent them into a sleep. And listen to this. Um, Abishai says, God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time. Abishai whispered to David, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. It's one smooth movement, David. The spear is there. His head is here. He's asleep. In fact, maybe just tilt your head to 90 degrees. There you go. Imagine, listen, one movement through his head lights out. Abishai said, go on, go on. This is your moment. The Lord's going to give you the, go on, just take him out. Imagine how easy your life is going to be if you just take him out. Imagine how good you'll feel about yourself if you just take him out. That's the kind of whispering that goes on. I just hold that there for a second. Thank you. You're sleeping whilst holding a spear. Anyway, so David, so, um, so, uh, David said, no, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent? Oh, his heart. Who can remain innocent? Who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike down Saul someday, or he'll die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he's anointed. But he says, take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and let's get out of here. And so, this is what happens. While he's sleeping, he takes the spear and the bottle of water. No, you can't have it. Look, now you're... Now you're bigging your part up, right? You're asleep. (laughs) So they creep away with the water bottle and the spear until David, it says, goes up to the hill, safe distance away from the SAS and their king. Actually, let's have a round of applause. Can we just say thank you so much for... You can have... This is what... We'll come into land soon, but I'm telling you this story so that you can get in mind how many opportunities David had to throw the spear back. This is what happens, all right? So he walks away with the spear, and David says, uh, this is what David climbs the hill opposite the camp until he was at a safe distance. Then he shouted down to the soldiers and to Abner, you know his favorite soldier, the, the chief soldier. I love this. I mean, you've got to love David. David goes, uh, Abner, it's me. Well, Abner, you're a great man, aren't you? Where in all Israel is there anyone as mighty as you? So why haven't you guarded your master, the king, when someone came to kill him? Oh, this isn't good at all. I swear by the Lord that you and your men deserve to die because you failed to protect your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around. Where are the king's spear and the jug of water that was beside his head? At this point, Saul recognizes David's voice. And he says, that, he says David, is that you? And this is what David said. Yes, my lord, the king. Why are you chasing me? What have I done? What is my crime? But now let my Lord the King listen to his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept my offering. But if this is simply a human scheme, then may those involved be cursed by the Lord. For you've driven me away from my home, so I no longer live among the Lord's people. And they said, go worship pagan gods. Must I die on foreign soil, far from the presence of the Lord? Why has the King of Israel come out to search for a single flea? Why does he hunt me down like a partridge? On the mountains. Listen, 
I have to confess, when I read this this way, I thought, I thought partridges were English. Partridges in the first century Palestine. Anyway, that was just, that's, welcome to my head. Partridge, I can't picture that. It's not in a pear tree, but it's on the mountain. Anyway, like a partridge on the mountains. Then verse 21, then Saul confessed, I have sinned, come back home, my son. And I'll no longer try to harm you, for you valued my life today. I've been a fool and very, very wrong. Listen to this, and this is important. David says, here is your spear, O king. Here's your spear and your jug of water. Let one of your men come over and get it. The Lord gave his own reward for doing good and for being loyal, and I refuse to kill you, even when the Lord placed you in the power. So he says, here, you, have, you can have your spear, Saul, because I don't need it. You know, sometimes things happen to us. People do things to us. Sometimes they do them and they know that they hurt us and they really, really hurt. And the soul strikes us. And we feel like we're never going to recover. Sometimes inadvertently, somebody does something, says something, neglects us in some way. And, and actually, it really, it still really, really hurts. Spears are flying everywhere in our world, in some of our families. It's, it's like warfare. Does anyone know what I'm talking about today? Or is everyone living in some perfect world where everything's good? No, there are spears flying everywhere. We all have a spear. What we do with the spear really matters. And here, David, to his enemy, his sworn enemy, says, David, if you're going to throw sport, look, here's your spear, because I don't need it. It shows the respect the Lord had, that David had for the anointed of the Lord. This is not to, he had a higher vision. He saw who Saul was before God and before the people of Israel. He would not take out the Lord's anointed. Hallelujah. Saul is insecure, unstable, broken. He becomes mean and focuses his hatred on David. And you read in the rest of the story just how much pain there is in this relationship. I want to point out one thing. There are voices in David's ear. In both of those occasions, take him out. Now's your time. Now's your moment. Take him out. Surely the Lord will bless you. And guess what? The people will call you a hero because everyone knows that Saul means ill towards you. Take him out. But the voice in David's heart is stronger. I will not wreak revenge. I will not touch the Lord's anointing. In Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah starts what is a series, and there's loads of poetry, prophetic poetry, about the coming kingdom of God that was an eternal kingdom in the line of David. In the line of David, but actually better than David's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven come to earth. In Isaiah chapter 2, the the book starts, and it's just fantastic what is said. And some of the verses will come up on the screen. I just want to point out one thing. And this is so powerful. And we're coming to Lansing and we're going to respond in prayer. And at least for somebody today, I prophesy today, breakthrough is coming for you today in this room, in this moment. Healing is coming in Jesus' name. Because we're going to take all this stuff to the cross. It says about Jerusalem, it says in verse 4, the Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. Oh, Lord, please be saved. Let your kingdom come, right? It says they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Their spears, the things used to kill people, will be changed into their shape to be a hook used for pruning a vine. 
instead of killing people, bringing in the harvest and encouraging fruitfulness. Hallelujah. This is the kingdom of heaven, even greater than the kingdom of David. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Does anyone read that and think, God, I long for that on, across the earth? Wouldn't it be, this is why we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, guess what? Jesus came to bring that kingdom to us. And that kingdom, he said, is now here. Can I hear an amen? Jesus comes as the fulfillment of of Israel's um, prophecy, Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus comes and he lives differently. He, he, He doesn't curse anyone. In fact, he brings hope and healing to everyone he meets. And in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a discussion that comes up because anger comes up quite early on in the Sermon on the Mount because it affects us all. We all feel anger. We all get hurt. We all get betrayed. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard, verse 21, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, this is Jesus, but I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. This is Jesus, you know, meek and mild, cuddly, cuddles sheep and, and children. He says, if you so much as say raka to someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Raka means it's, you might as well be dead to me. So it says here kind of um, idiot. So if, you, if you're angry with someone, if you call someone an idiot, Actually, that's really, it's not, it's not just someone who is an idiot. It's somebody who is nothing to us. It, this is the passive-aggressive sense of you're nothing. Has anyone experienced that in your family where there's a persona non grata? There's someone who might as well not even exist. Has anyone experienced that? Has anyone been that person in a group of friends at school when someone just pushes them aside and says, do you know what? They're, they're just an idiot. They're, they're, they're just over. They're just forgotten. They're no one. Jesus says, be very careful because you're in danger of being consigned to Gehenna, the place where all the refuse of the world ends up. He also says, if you say so much and curse someone to say that they're a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. That language is like saying, calling someone, you stupid expletive. Jesus knows our hearts and he knows what it's like to be hurt. But Jesus shows us the way to forgiveness and ultimately on the cross. There he hangs on the cross and he pronounces forgiveness over those that in just a matter of moments after he gives up his last breath, it says in John chapter 19, and a soldier pierced his side with a sword. And this is where we come into land with this, and I want to take you to the cross, then we're going to 
worship and respond together. And, and like I said, some, for some of you, you might just say, oh, that was a clever talk. But, for, but I'm speaking to at least somebody today. This is a, a message that you really need to hear today and know that God has more for you. He has healing for you at the cross. Because on the cross, as Jesus hangs there, he pronounces forgiveness. In fact, something amazing happens that Jesus takes the spear into his side. He takes all the pain and all the anguish that we've ever felt. He takes it on himself. His side is pierced with the spear of all the anger and contempt of all the generations up until that time, uh, to the, the, the nuclear bombs that have destroyed our families, to the things that have happened on the cross, amazingly in his love for us. He takes it on himself and then he does something else. He breaks the spear. Jesus doesn't just take the spear on himself, but he breaks it. Hallelujah. He breaks the power of the things that would cause us death, in fact. And I want you to remember this. He, as I make the sign of the cross with this, is that on the cross, he breaks the power of the spears that we use to kill each other, to breed contempt and anger and war. And on the cross, he speaks forgiveness. Hallelujah. He breaks the spear. And I want to say today, in our lives, Jesus is the one the only one who really has the power to break the spear. Not just to dodge it, hallelujah, but to remove its power. And then, this is amazing, he invites us as the church to become the people of the broken spear. Drawn from different backgrounds and nationalities. I bet if we got together and if we could hear everyone's headspace and opinions and political opinions and preferences, and if we could let, gave voice to all of our anger, we would have one massive riot in this building right now. We could breed contempt as well as anyone else, but we're called to something higher. We're called to have the heart of David, but applying the grace of Jesus, we are called to be the people of the broken spear in the church, Jew and Gentile, black and white, young and old, educated, uneducated, wealthy and poor, in the same place with a broken spear, where spears bounce off us like water off a duck's back because we've been forgiven. And of those for whom much has been forgiven, hello? Much is expected. And if we're going to have authentic relationships, if we're going to be a people who know what it means to build real community, we might have to deal with some spears and take them to the cross. He takes the spear. He breaks it. Then he invites us to be people of the broken spear. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or by joining us on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in person and online.